and welcome to another episode of After the Whistle, a sports podcast from the Burlington Free Press. I'm staff writer Austin Danforth, and with me this week is uh, staff writer Alex Abrami. How's it going, Austin? And Free Press correspondent Ted Ryan. How you doing, gentlemen? Great, Ted. Uh, and as folks may pick up, we are here to uh, talk about <laughs> hockey with uh, Ted in the room. And the room's a little smaller and a little hotter than normal. But, uh, like the penalty box? Like the penalty <laughs> box. Maybe we'll re- record all our hockey stuff in here from now on. Be a good name for it. Uh, okay, yeah. the penalty box with Ted Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm done gloating about the Super Bowl. We may get to some uh, other non-hockey stuff with a little uh, re-up later this week. But, um, Ted, yes. what's, what's going on up the hill? <laughs> I'm sure that uh, anybody that can figure it out uh, probably should call Coach Snedden because uh, I, I think right now, along with the fans and even the players, uh, everybody's a little confused as to exactly what this team is capable of doing the rest of the way. Uh, they certainly had a great start to the season. They had a bit of a slip, came back strong, a little more of a slip lately. Looks to me, uh, if nothing else, it's, a, it's kind of a confidence thing, a mental thing going into that third period. In that uh, they early in the season they seem to be able to take any punch at all, get up and go through the third and, and come out with a lot of wins. And right now there seems to be a little doubt of themselves. Although on Saturday night, uh, after Friday night's pretty poor performance, they bounced back with a very strong performance against uh, New Hampshire. Was that was that sort of like a maybe high water mark? Maybe Friday with that with that loss. Like this is as as far as we can go. It's to me. It's one of two really difficult losses to handle within recent weeks. Uh, as the first one being when you're leading four to two at Notre Dame late, about five minutes left, and you wind up settling for a tie in that game. Uh, that was a very costly point, and in, in the next night, and then against New Hampshire, a team which had lost I think five in a row at the time, has struggled quite a bit. You had them at home. You really needed the points, and. You know, if you go out and play very well and you get beat, you certainly tip your hat to the other team. And um, and I don't want to take any credit away from New Hampshire that night, but Vermont certainly made it easy for the Wildcats too. So, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a low point in a lot of ways this season to to see the effort and or lack of of um, effort. They tried hard. Don't get me wrong there, but they they just mentally just weren't as focused as they needed to be. So let's size up the hockey standings uh, with, I believe, four to go, two weekends. You right. got, they're at Boston College and then they're home against Merrimack. They're, they're still right there. They can still take care of business and, and make uh, and, and be home for the quarterfinals. They could be. It's going to be difficult for a couple of reasons. One is that they're at Boston College this weekend. Now, they've had good success the last two years at BC, but historically they've struggled, and you've got a BC team that's going to be pretty angry after it's performances in the bean pot the last two weekends too so you got to come out of there with at least a split and then you're home to merrimack which a couple three weeks ago you might have said that's great except merrimack just swept boston university and just beat boston college and seems to be coming on strong so they're definitely not an easy schedule there you have the chance but you're down by a couple of points right now they're in sixth place they're two points behind providence three points behind notre dame and UMass Lowell, and already uh, that's in essence a four-point loss to Notre Dame and and, uh, UMass Lowell because they lost the season series there. So in head-to-head, they lost those tiebreakers already. They split with Providence. 
So now you got to try to make up four points, and you got to hope that those other teams, uh, you know, don't win the games. Last weekend, except for UVM beating UNH on the second night, from a catamount perspective, every single game went the wrong way uh, for Vermont. So it's not going to be easy. Right now, you've even got the shot that they couldn't even be home for home ice for the first round. That's highly unlikely, though. So it looks like right now, six seed, outside shot of five, maybe four, if they get the right breaks. It's going to be it's going to be a challenge to do that, though, and that's going to hurt because a couple of weeks, only two weeks ago, they were in third place. They controlled everything. If they went about their business, then they weren't able to do it. The the last time we touched in with you would was right at the start of the season. We were previewing everything. We really didn't know what to expect. Uh, and how would you, I guess, maybe put into context the, the ups and downs and, you know, maybe historically what what you've seen this, this, this winter from the Catamounts? Well, the I expected the team to be better, certainly, than it was last year. And I wasn't sure how much. And overall, they have surpassed that until this recent blip. Now we'll see what happens from here on in. I thought the goaltending would be fine with uh, Stefanos Lekas coming in because I had you know, heard from enough sources about him. Uh, and I, but my big concerns were scoring. Uh, they've certainly taken care of that, even when they've hit some of their slumps here. They're still averaging over three goals a game, and, I, and it's, I'd have to go back six, eight, nine years maybe before you can find uh, where they were solidly over three goals per game. So that's been a huge difference. Their balance is is amazing by Vermont standards. They don't have a great first line, but they have four, actually five lines that they can maneuver in and out that are all pretty much equal, all capable of scoring, all capable of doing well defensively. So look at it there. I had the questions about scoring. They surpassed that. I had questions about defense. I still have questions about defense because I think early in the year, some of the defensive problems were covered up because Lekas played so extremely well. And it was hard to see him being able to play at that level all the way through. He still is playing well for the most part. He's given up a couple of bad goals here and there, but he also gets left sometimes uh, all by himself when the team defense really isn't as sharp as it ought to be. So it's a good, solid team. Vermont standards it could still uh, gel here a little bit and make a good run into the playoffs get an NCAA berth but they're 16th now in the pairwise and RPI even that's really going to be tough to, to, to hold on to an NCAA spot without winning the hockey East tournament at this point really <laughs> well oh, <that's>, again that, <laughs> you, you have to remember that what happens is that there's 16 spots in the NCAA field and you already know that I think it's six of them are going to be automatic berths to the league cha- to the tournament champions of each of the Division One leagues. If the regular season champion wins the tournament, that's in Vermont's favor. But if a number seven seed, for instance, in the WCHA or six, because I don't think I, they've only got six teams right now, number six seed wins its tournament and wins the automatic berth, most likely the number one seed's also going to get a berth. Suddenly you're bumped down below the top 16. So if you get two or three, uh, when you're right on that bubble, you can't afford a single upset in the uh, in all the league tournaments. And usually there's one or two somewhere along the line, and that'll knock you out of the top 16 pretty quickly. 
you touched upon it last week in the in the preview. I think Lakus, um, you you posed the question: Did he hit a freshman wall? Uh, I, I think they rebuffed that and said no. Like, like I think you already kind of alluded to that that it's been a he's given up a couple of soft goals, but then he hasn't had all the help as well. Yeah, I I think. T- this is one of those deals, too. Uh, if you go back and look at highlights from early in the season with Stefanos Lekas and you get people's reactions, and it was incredible what he was doing. The flip side of that is that means that there's an awful lot of mistakes being made to force him to make saves of that quality. And you better hope you reduce a few of them because no goalie's going to continue to make that level of saves every single game out. And, yes, you do hit a little bit of a of a slump here and there. Mike Santaguida has gone through that throughout his career. Right now it's kind of a moot question or has been uh, up to this point because he's been injured as to whether Mike goes in and, and replaces Stefanos for a while. But you've also got to remember that in his last appearance, a one nothing game, I think it was with Lowell uh, going to the third period, uh, they gave, gave up two goals, and the second goal was a goal that that – would qualify as one that he should have had and that can be you know a pretty devastating thing and so there's no obvious answer to you know do we just put if you're a coach do we just put uh, Mike in if he's healthy and ready to go or Stefanos these guys don't get tired coming out of junior from a physical standpoint so much especially when they played 40 50 games each of the last two years in juniors Plus, recently, they Vermont had two one-game weekends, so that's not exactly yeah. a stressful situation as well. So there shouldn't be any uh, logic behind him being tired physically. Yeah, I think all the players, the younger players, a little bit tired or a little bit uptight mentally, and I think uh, you know, Coach Sneddon addressed that last week too, that they're going through this for the first time, the pressures of all this, and um, you know, they rely heavily on this freshman class for their success. And if these guys are beginning to think a little too much about not getting that home ice, not getting to the NCAAs, it means you're not really paying as much attention to ahead and you lose a game or two and then you start worrying about it. You don't play the way you should in the third period. You play not to not to lose rather than to go out and win. The, the strength of this freshman class – how does this class stack up to recent recruiting classes for the Catamounts? I would say from from what I've seen so far, and, and I have to be careful in how you word this, this is probably has the, this class has the most potential I've seen since the Perrin St. Louis Thomas class, which had a number of other excellent players in it, particularly on defense and uh, you know some other players there. I don't think it's going to have that star quality. I mean, that would be amazing to have that. That's a generational level of talent. Especially for a school like uh, Vermont, you know, at that level of school. So, but since then there have been players, there's been a couple of players in a class. I haven't seen the same type of effect on a season by one class coming in that this class has done since back when Perrin and St. Louis and Thomas and, and a whole bunch of those guys, uh, J.C. Uh, Ruid and the rest of them were all there uh, as freshmen. It, is a lot of that maybe the, the power in numbers, the strength in numbers for this class being as big as it is? It's partly that, but they've also had bigger uh, courses. Part of it is a change in strategy. I think what, uh, in terms of recruiting, when John Micheletto 
left to go down to Massachusetts, and uh, they had a you know an opening there. They brought in two new assistant coaches who wanted to change the the way things were going in recruiting. Vermont had struggled. They went out and got some older players to try to make Vermont uh, at least respectable quickly to regain a little bit of that. And at the same time, it was late in the recruiting year, so you're not going to be grabbing a lot of uh, star quality players at that point. So they were trying to stabilize it there, and now and you would see older, the 20, 21-year-old type freshmen coming in. Now you see some players who are committing who are a little bit younger. They're not committing at 19 and 20. Some of them are committing at 16, 17, 18. No, they're not going to be the blue chips necessarily that BUBC get, but they're kids that have perhaps a little more high end. You know, a kid that's 17 and commits a kid that's 20, a kid at 17 might have a little higher end at the, by the time he gets through college than the one at 20. Um, so they've done that. They've changed the type of uh, recruited players they're after, a little more mobile defensemen, uh, tried to become more offensive. They said they wanted to score more goals this year. They changed their style. They've scored more goals. So it's all just sort of a continuation type of thing. So it's I think the quality of the class is clearly better when you go through, I think it's eight, nine players, whatever it is, one through nine is much better than the one through nine of some previous classes, Ron. Do you have a hard copy of all these recruits at home? <laughs> Keep tally of because I know when I when I when I do stuff for like the men's basketball team, it's they usually they come a year before. They, they, they commit a year before, and it's pretty easy to keep track of that. But sometimes you have kids I think I committing have a, at 15 years old and stuff. So. I have a list that I keep right now. I, I believe, I, I'm not positive, it's either 21 or 22 players, 21 to 23 players, who are verbally committed to the University of Vermont between now and I believe it's the 2021 season. Right now, I, it, in my mind's eye, I was thinking it was like uh, some sort of detective board with like a flow chart and, you know, red lines of string from picture to picture and year to all that stuff. Well, actually, uh, the, the uh, what it is, just a list by the projected year they're going to come in. And that, that sometimes changes because for any number of reasons, player develops quicker. It can also happen because Vermont loses a player. So a player they were going to have come in in two years might be moved up to coming into this year. You know, this next year, uh, you know, that happened when Victor Stahlberg left, happened when Tory Mitchell left, uh, you know, happened when Brody Hoffman left. You've got to do some jockeying because, they, you know, you you have to plan on them being here for the senior year, but at the same time you need a backup plan in case they aren't here for the senior year. So you have some players that you've told, we want you, it might be this year, this is the year we're going to project, might be a year earlier. And then in hockey, the one huge advantage I have over – those of you who are covering basketball, if you're looking at recruits and things as well, is that it's pretty well centralized. It's very easy to find the information on the web. The kids tweeted out their recruiting hockey websites. There's not 400 of them like there must be for, for <laughs> yeah. basketball. Uh, there are stats. Uh, you know, A lot of the players in this country go to college hockey, come from the USHL, uh, the only major well, one of two major junior hockey leagues in the, in the U.S., or you go to the British Columbia uh, Hockey League. But there's not, again, a huge number of them, so it's pretty easy when you get a player's name to track down his team, track down his profile, track down his statistics. And you keep, uh, if, as you go along, you can update them, and usually once or twice a year I'll go through, update their sizes, update their stats, and 
you know, and, and uh, sometimes we try to get them out and often do for the next projected class in, but usually I have a, a, some kind of an idea of what's scheduled for four or five years down the line, too. Uh, before we take a break uh, and get into a couple other things, I was wondering what your reaction was to the news a couple weeks ago about the, the new concept for the UVM Athletics Complex. Of all the concepts that I had heard floating around within the last year or two, I thought this made the most sense, quite frankly. Uh, you know, if, if it came down to an agreement with Burlington or South Burlington, and that was the basically the only option you had, certainly it was worth pursuing. Um, but if I were UVM, I'd be a little bit leery about not having full control of the arena more than anything else, both for and practice times or for scheduling your own games or potential conflicts with uh, bringing in a, you know, a pro team of some sort as well. It's happened at other arenas. There's been challenges that way. So I think from a university perspective, if you, know, you, you would really prefer to have your own options. I like the idea of a new uh, arena for basketball that's built for basketball. Uh, there's been several that were built in Hockey East that were supposed to be multi multi-purpose, and those haven't really worked out as well as yeah, they do. Yeah, BU, Aganis Arena. UNH. UNH. Maine even did it when they revamped up there and tried it for a couple of years and hasn't looked at You know, and even talking with previous basketball coaches about designs that UVM was going to do on its own campus, you knew that they were, well, it'd be nice not to be in Patrick, but to be in a building that's that big and not ours necessarily to be available for practice all the time. I understand all that. So, you know, and people hear about recruiting, trying to recruit players, hockey players to UVM. You, I'm sure hear it in terms of basketball players to Patrick, but in hockey, and, and others will say, well, it doesn't, you know, the recruiting isn't going to change just because you build a new arena or something. To a degree, they're right, because hockey in Patrick, in uh, Gutterson can be terrific, and the players don't care because the ice is the ice. Mm -hmm. But what needs to be done are the ancillary sections, the, the, the locker rooms. The locker rooms at UVM, especially for visiting teams or to hold tournaments, absolutely terrible. I'm talking in terms of hockey now. And, you know, but they don't have meeting rooms. They don't have uh, the, the same kind of equipment, you know, sports and uh, strength and training facilities that many of these other schools built into their new arenas. Yeah. And I think you can build those in up there and renovate Gutterson to make it more fan-friendly and still keep a lot of character of it because... You know, it's quite frankly, it's a lot of fun. I've been to Aganis. I've been to a lot of the new arenas. I've been to the North Country when Vermont was in ECAC. And, you know, the Walker Arena at Clarkson, just a pit, but it had a flavor to it. Yeah, Cheel Arena's another hockey arena. You know, you walked in and you went down to Appleton Arena. They've still managed to keep a lot of the flavor of what college hockey is there. So, you know, it's not cookie cutter of any sort. It's unique at Gutterson. And I think that's, you know, if you can do it right, uh, and talking to Jeff Schulman briefly the other day, it sounds to me like they've got some really good ideas for it, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, it would seem to me like, and I, we may have, I can't remember what we said a week ago because it was a week ago. Every, everything <laughs> Alex lost his parking ticket a minute ago. Yeah. But uh, the the idea that, you know, if you spruce up Gutterson enough, like 
the character it has you can't recreate mm-hmm. and it's sort of unique in the, the college landscape like i'm pretty sure there's a reason michigan hockey hasn't left yost ice arena yeah uh so you look at gutterson for what it is if you can maybe not have 40 year old wooden bleachers and it, where you can re- like once the it's empty and you really see the bones of it and you're like mm. yeah. and the, so like I mean the the back the the one concourse that they have butts up against you know cinder blocks and offices and yeah. it's just, like it just doesn't have the same level of yeah. when it's empty looks yeah. like a nice room it is going to change a lot because from what I understand um, the seats on the sides will be seats not bleachers. Uh, the student end will remain bleachers because the students are going to stand and hopefully mm-hmm. create some things. There's going to be a new concourse on the south side near the soccer fields, and the seats will be moved up toward there so you're not walking in front, in front of people. Right. Uh, you know, the uh, media boxes will be moved to the other side. There's going to be a second level um, behind where the, where the press boxes are now where vision VIP. Yeah, but no, but it's going to, it will, but I'm it, it, not sure exactly what it is, but I understand that you go in that room and you walk to one side and you look down on the basketball court and you walk to the other side and you can look down on the arena too. Yep. You know, and there'd be a, a new video uh, scoreboard. Right. Which uh, is huge for a lot of, a lot of things like that and some other fan amenities. And like I say, you know, coaches always said, you know, I, Gilligan said it, Jim Cross said it beforehand, when you could bring in players that you were recruiting on the weekend for a home game at UVM, they didn't see all the negative stuff. They saw the fans in there, and they heard the, all the noise, and they felt the excitement, and you could get them there. But when kids started playing so many games on weekends in junior hockey, and everything else, they had to come during the summer. They had to come during the week. And you walk into Gutterson, and it's bare, like you said. It's not appealing when you see the other places uh, from that perspective. So uh, it's it, it's something to get excited about, but I'm kind of the – it got to the point where I still say, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it and I'll celebrate it when it actually happens. Right. I mean, they got 18 months now to figure out a way to make it happen in 18 months. And then they've got to figure out how to do it without disrupting their programs too much as well. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that was part of the plan. Yeah. What they're working on, the, exactly. sort of the schedule, and I think it might start with building the new basketball facility because then you could re- renovate the pe- existing Patrick Jim space after you get basketball yeah. out of there, <clears throat> and then you go from there and you probably update the shared spaces. And then I think hockey was going to be last. Yeah, I I don't know what the uh, what the way around is on it. I you know again I talked with Jeff Schulman the other day for a few minutes and. And at some point, I'll stop by and get a little course in exactly what's going on. But uh, clearly, it's it's uh, if you're a hockey fan, I think the idea that, especially if you're an older hockey fan, and UVM has many of them, that the fact that you won't be sitting on the bleachers uh, by itself would, would be enough to perk you up. And, and the basketball fans, which might be the same people, but... Yeah. You know, I don't know if they're the same people, but they're the same generation. <laughs> same generation, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Well, well, do you, have you... Got any idea whether you'll be included in the uh, design planning process for the the <laughs> the, uh, the press box at the uh, revamped Gutterson? Well, it, it, the funny story really was uh, years ago, Middlebury had, of course, the old uh, uh, rink down there. And uh, when they got the plans to build their new arena, Kenyon Arena, 
down to see Bill Beanie one day, and he was so excited. He started talking about how the what the ice surface was like and the facilities for the locker rooms and the training and all of this and go on and go on. And I didn't say a thing, and he kind of looked at me, and I just said, no. yeah, so? And he goes, oh, yeah, new press box. I go, okay, now we're talking. <laughs> that was it, because the old press box down there was unbelievable. But, no, I, I'm sure they have their experts. Uh, hopefully they won't be the same ones who built Madison Square Garden and forgot to put in a press box at all. So let's see. <laughs> okay, well, we'll take a quick break and uh, be back with a couple more questions for Ted. And we're back with Ted Ryan. Uh, and I got to, I'm got. going to pose this question as Vermont's chicken or egg question. Uh, is Vermont a hockey state or a basketball state? Uh, my impression is that overall, um, that if you were to go outside of Chittenden County in particular to the farther regions of Vermont, they'd probably be more interested in what the basketball team has been doing than the uh, – Hockey team, I think just because the nature of, of basketball has been here so historically long at the high school levels uh, as opposed to hockey. And again, it's so much more widespread to all the small communities as well as uh, the larger ones that now might have in their high schools hockey teams too. Just the tradition of it, I think it, it kind of tends that way. Uh, Franklin County, Chittenden County, I think, um, you know, when, when the Vermont hockey team is – Having very good times, it's probably still the uh, the number one draw. Alex, where, where do you come in on this? I think I come in as a basketball state. I think some of the things that Ted already said. I mean, every school in the state has a basketball team. Yeah. Even Little Cabot. You yeah. Know, I mean, every state. I mean, hockey is an expensive sport, obviously, um, but basketball you just need five guys or five girls get out there and play so i think people can kind of relate to that more than in hockey and and then when you see like uvm made its run and beat syracuse in 2005 like i granted that's that's once in a lifetime or once in two lifetimes or whatever type of experience like everyone paid attention to that and and everyone fills out a march madness um bracket yeah, so I think you can grab hold of people's attention a little bit more in basketball in that way, in that fashion. It, Ted, like maybe comparing that with uh, UVM's heyday in, in hockey, mm-hmm. which you wrote about, I think, a year ago with uh, sort of the, the 20th anniversary of their uh, Frozen Four appearance for the first time. When you were running the sports department or involved in the sports department, how did you, what, what sort of, anecdotal levels of interest did you encounter for basketball versus hockey well for a good share of the time that i was with the free press it it was uh really not even a, a question in terms of how we dealt with our coverage because uh uvm basketball program really struggled you know people uh who've been around the program will remember many long, difficult years of, of going through. And you're talking until, what was it, late 90s, early 2000s, when Tom Brennan 
uh, finally was able to, to work his magic and get things really turned around. Before that, it was, it was a, a tough time. So it was hard for them to generate interest in their program. It was still a basketball state overall in the, because of all the high school teams, and that was such a tradition that, on the, especially on Friday nights, that's what all the little towns did. It was a community social event as well as an athletic event. So you had that until, you know, you get into the early 2000s, really, when uh, hockey hit a bit of a dip, but the basketball team really started to establish itself and has maintained a tremendous level. And I think that, that helps, too. I, again, a lot of times I see the, um, the interest going up and down. Also depends on who's playing on the team. You had uh, one of the teams that had the most interest of all UVM teams was the women's team back in the 90s mm -hmm. when you had all the Vermont uh, young ladies who were on the team. You know, those young women were ours. Right. And so you had not only the interest of the state university winning, but you had our kids being on there. And there weren't many programs at UVM where Vermont high school athletes went on and were able to excel at that at that level so that was a big part of it too we saw that you know but again I'm, I'm always leery saying one time or another because I've seen every program I've seen UVM hockey uh, when it was so filled they fire marshals were threatening to close down the place <laughs> and the fans were lined up literally out of Gutterson down to Spear Street and you know and that they were there at at ridiculous hours the day before spending all night to get playoff tickets and that was before Perrin and St. Louis and Thomas you know so it's been cycles and that's why I always you know I, I saw the soccer team uh, in 88-89 in that area uh, when they went to the NCAAs fill Centennial Field no not with the one set of bleachers with both sets of bleachers you know and I also saw the football team draw about 12,000 people to a game there so Wow. You know, people forget a lot of these <laughs> things, you know, or they didn't experience them themselves. You know, you young whippersnappers, <laughs> you know, and then uh, we get the old uh, guys he's, he's like us. To me, uh, yeah, he's yeah the guys like us who sit here and say, you know, well, back in the old days. Austin, you're, you're 30. Yep. So younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, but I think Alex got the valid point that if you're looking overall, the team that will catch the attention, but in 96 – no matter where you went throughout the state, there were an awful lot of people watching that game in Cincinnati, wanting oh, yeah. to know what the score was. It was huge, and you wouldn't even oppose the question then, because the basketball team was kind of, you know, struggling. Right. Yeah. I guess maybe now we're we're looking at the situation where because I, I fall in the line with you guys as well. I think it's it's a basketball state when you look at maybe half the schools have high schools have mm -hmm. hockey. You real like you and. I went to a high school that didn't have hockey. I couldn't have told you what, no. you know, the no. blue line was for it, it, until I got to college at UVM. And then I, was, I sort of pretty quickly fell in line. But maybe now I think we're dealing with UVM basketball being the team that the state sort of cried out for but didn't have for such a long time. Well, your question really is two questions. You're yeah. asking yeah. about the state, you know, is it basketball or hockey from a sport perspective? Or is it a basketball or hockey state from a University of Vermont perspective? And I think to me that's clearly 
you know, there's clearly a difference. Yeah. Um, that it, because of all the high schools and they follow it and et cetera. But then when you get to the Vermont, uh, University of Vermont, you know, there's an awful lot of good feeling about University of Vermont athletics out there, but there's a lot of people over the years who, uh, you know, they were like, well, our kids never can play there. So there's a lot of negative feeling in many quarters for many years, too, until you start yeah. seeing some winning. Two questions, but it's also, it's also a good litmus test to use UVM athletics. Yeah. Use, use basketball and hockey. Well, it's, as it's the highest stage. Yes. It is, yeah. But then you look at, um, like, at high school, like last Burlington Rice last two years, they sell out at Patrick biggest one of the biggest draws in the state and then but then hockey i think does very well they might they might sell out too the d1 hockey final they were close i think last year yeah and the the, the boys and that's a little bit obviously that fills more gutterson fills more than patrick so it was close to four compared to 32 6 6 right uh yeah i I think that's always has to do with winning quite frankly and and your loyalties to your schools you know the fact is you're going to get more excited about your high school's hockey team if they're winning and going on in the playoffs at the end of the year and your basketball team you know was eliminated in the first round or vice versa so you know it's part of the experience of being able to do that and it's the landscape has changed tremendously again going back with me you know we we probably covered about five sports and what do you have 35 or thereabouts now you know (laughs) and uh uh, close it it was very limited when i started in the business and it was great from it to to see all the people out there, the young people who were able to get involved in all the sports. Uh, from a coverage standpoint, it was more of a challenge. But yeah. uh, but you looked at it again. It it's really comes down to the success of a team and and how they're doing. And if they're representative, they're going to have people following them. And if not, they rather than be negative, they just kind of move on to something else at times. This might not be a question you can answer. But how did or how, what, what sort of idea do you have about how Chittenden County and Franklin County, say, became so into like such hotbeds and sort of like the, the bastion of hockey in Vermont? Well, the original bastions of hockey were, quite frankly, were probably around Northfield and Middlebury because of the colleges and the programs there. Especially Middlebury had some great teams way back when. But I think that uh, certainly hockey was much stronger throughout northern Vermont as a spectator sport because of the proximity to Canada and the Montreal Canadiens. Before you had cable bringing in the Bruins and every other team around, uh, you know, they, saw, they watched Hockey Night in Canada. And so there was a culture of that. You had a French-Canadian heritage that was up here that still followed the hockey. And high school hockey... Uh, when it began to come in was partly with Gutterson and some of the other places being available. The birthplace of high school hockey was in the northern part of the state. So uh, between uh, Franklin County, Chittenden County, and over in the Barrie area, you know, uh, that's really where it kind of developed. So, and it's grown from there. So while, meanwhile, you go back to the 20s and whenever uh, for everywhere in the state for basketball. Alex, what's on uh, what's on your mind for the venerable one? Well, we for got Ted. It. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have any more questions for Ted. He answered them all. <laughs> he sort of does that. <laughs> oh, 
Well, I'm, su- uh, I'm actually surprised he said it's more of a basketball state. I, although he started to turn, I think. No, no, I, th- I still think it's, okay. you know, again, like what I said, what I'm trying to say is that if you're talking sport, the sport that I think is followed more closely throughout the state is basketball. But if you're talking the University of Vermont, I, it does, I think it has more tendency to shift by the respective success of those teams. And, you know, one of the years that it was a lot of fun, you mentioned Syracuse. Well, I was at the ECACs that night with UVM, and there was a heck of a Vermont crowd there. Yeah, they all had their radios trying to listen to (laughs) Syracuse at the same time, but they were also cheering on the hockey team, you know, which had bounced back after several bad years to reach the semifinals of of ECAC in, in Albany, New York. So that that's kind of what i'm saying i you know i I recognize that basketball and i think basketball at uvm can catch the attention of the other parts in the state of vermont if it's doing well and if it does have taylor coppenrath on it when it did i think you would find far you compare the interest level my guess would be that the interest level in that team was still higher than it is in this team, as great as it's been. Well, um, Tom Brennan told us a story. I can't remember if it was on video or just when we were talking two years ago for the 10-year anniversary, and he mentioned... You're talking about the the lunch? No, when he walked into, (laughs) I believe it was a gas station in Rochester. Yeah, oh yeah, the Rochester story. He just walks in, and they knew who he was. Yeah. And I don't even think that was 0405. That might have been 0304. It was the year before 0405. Okay. Um, So just kind of shifting gears from that, but still talking about 0405. With this year's team, what sense do you get in terms of comparing it? Because they're two different teams yeah. in a lot of ways, but they're kind of the buzz is kind of starting to grow louder and louder with this it with this is, year's team. It is, and it's hard for me to make that comparison, Alex, simply because when back then I was in the business and I was really aware of what was going on outside. You know, because you were aware of all the people, you're sort of more in tune with what's happening in other place in the state I just don't have that much contact with them as much now uh, so it's a little hard for me to make that comparison or, or really to draw that out just as it would be for me to to tell you if the hockey team was doing extremely well to compare it statewide to uh, the interest in the uh, parent St. Louis team Okay. How's that for hedging? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so Expert, you're not, expertly done. You're not predicting them to reach the uh, second round. <laughs> no, they might. And then, and then if that happens, it could be. I'm just saying, uh, you know, as you know, you're in the business and uh, you're far more aware of what's happening at the high school levels than I am now. Back then, I, I knew it all because I dealt with it on a That's daily true. basis. You know, and it's the same thing. You were dealing with people or coaches you'd be talking to a coach from some remote town and they might mention vermont or when you're traveling around people would do it now if if i'm at all recognized it's usually in conjunction with just with the hockey and they'll have many many difficult questions <laughs> when i'm out in some of these places so yeah and you leave the rest of it for us that's it exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very capable hands. Okay. Austin, I, I, I did not have the opportunity to offer you a position, but uh, I brought Alex on board here, and uh, you know it, I consider it my final uh, best wishes to the free press over the years. So, 
<laughs> your last Supreme Court nomination. That then. exactly you're right. So. <laughs> I got in right before. Just yep. He yep. came in and I left. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Ted. Fun as always, and uh, we'll have to keep in, in in touch here in the next couple of weeks as the season finishes and gets into the, the March Madness. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Very enjoyable, and enjoy the rest of the playoff season. I know you're just getting started. It's coming. 